0: Hey, you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm your host, Lou Rosenfeld. And I'm very happy to be joined
1: by Shawang, Shaw, very glad to to have you. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Doing sunny out in Brooklyn. It is sunny.
0: And we've earned this. We've earned a little sunshine. And, you know, this is going to be a really lame segue. But um, the area you work in, Um, which I'm calling civic design. Maybe people call it civic tech. It seems like it's an area that's deserved some sunshine for quite some time. Uh, If you don't know Shah, uh, co-founder and COO of NAVA, public benefit corporation that uh, was formed during the efforts to help fix uh, healthcare.gov during the Obama administration. And uh, that is a huge issue that you made a big difference on for, I guess for millions of people at this point, maybe tens of millions, I've lost track. Uh, And I don't think it's gonna turn around and you helped save that and you've been working on other uh, uh, public sector projects uh, here in the U.S. Uh, NAVA's been working with uh, Medicare, uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, at the state level working uh, Paid family leave and unemployment benefits—it's really like this lovely area that you work in. Um, and you know, it seems like Nava's doing really well, and and there's a lot of you know light and heat and good energy in this this whole sector. Um, I think it's totally relevant to uh, design at scale, which is the Roosevelt Media Conference you're going to be speaking at, June 9th through 11th. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a moment. But how on earth did you find your way into the space? I mean, I, you you were an architect, right?
1: Yeah, that's uh, and and even becoming an architect was uh, was something I fell into. Um, went to school originally for mechanical engineering uh, and and failed out of that pretty quickly. Um, I think the thing that I realized during that process was you know, uh, in studying engineering at Berkeley that, you know, it wasn't that I was interested in computers uh, or or technical systems. I was interested in what I could do with them, mm-hmm. and, uh, what I could kind of make or create through them. Um, yeah. So it came, came in through architecture, but.
0: Um, but how do you, wait a minute, how did you get from, mechanical engineering to architecture where you you were looking to harness engineering into structuring spaces so you wanted to get past the how and into the what
1: i i had actually at at the time at berkeley um berkeley's engineering program is heavily oversubscribed uh and at the time you know i was basically given a choice you know you can uh, stay stay in your stay in program or you're, you're filling a seat, you got to go. Uh, over that kind of first winter break, I ended up um, finding out about a design firm called IDEO, which is mm-hmm. very familiar to lots of folks now. Uh, but that was pretty eye-opening for me, coming from more of a technical or a nerdy standpoint to think about um, the methodologies uh, applied towards uh, wicked problems towards kind of un- unclear outcomes. And that led me to look for a type of program that could accommodate that type of uh, intersection within Berkeley. Uh, I originally, the original plan was studying architecture because that was the closest thing that Berkeley had to a design program uh, or a design major at the time, uh, studying architecture to then become an industrial designer at some point. but. In starting and falling into architecture, I, I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, fell in love with the complexity of the layers of scale, thinking um, of the uh, the joy and the frustrations of designing for things uh, within the physical environment, uh, the kind of uh, complexities and uh, what a friend Brian Boyer calls the the matter battle, uh, or like the the uh, the the kind of Clumsiness or surprise that comes when ideas meet the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that you can always defer but never avoid when you're doing things uh, that are complex like architecture. Uh, yeah, and that's that's kind of what led me into architecture as a practice and, and started working at a small firm in San Francisco. And then that's what led me to New York originally the first first time around.
0: Oh, and what was uh, waiting for you in New York?
1: Uh, was working at a small firm uh, named Mesh. Uh, mesh architectures. Uh, and they did a whole variety of uh, uh, of both residential and commercial design projects, small scale to large scale. Uh, at the time, though, I, I was working there, was living in New York, was kind of um, uh, experiencing the new city, but was also uh, playing with and tinkering with uh, a lot of the scripting that I'd been doing in school around parametric design or generative design. I had started looking at my own personal information and personal data to try to sift through that and make sense of it. Um, I started doing things like making maps of where I was spending my money in New York and where where that was kind of accruing uh, or where that was, uh, you know, uh, dissipating into the air. Um, And eventually uh, two things kind of intersected. One was um, I finished a small project uh, for Mesh, uh, which was a... An office interior design uh, project, basically building a conference room. It was the first kind of physical project I had completed. Uh, and so went to go visit it uh, and was hoping for that type of sense of gratification of, you know, your, your first built project, you know, should be something kind of emotionally resonant for you uh, and didn't feel anything. Hmm. Um, and through that, I realized that the the tinkering I was doing digitally, the the work I was doing, making small websites on the side or playing with uh, uh, different representations of my own personal data, that was actually more visceral uh, to me uh, and more satisfying to me than 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 the literal kind of uh, wood and glass and bamboo structures that i have been drawing and designing for for months.
0: Does that have anything to do with uh, the proximity to? Uh, systems uh, maybe a different maybe not proximity, but maybe a different way to relate to systems than the physical world afforded
1: yeah I think it's I think it's both uh, an aspect of systems and then an, another of an aspect of tactility uh, where you know the the type of iteration and feedback loop that I could get through thinking about a change and then seeing that uh, kind of realize itself in the um, in the actual product was something that I could, you know, I could, uh, uh, there, there was some push and pull of that material, whereas uh, within architecture, there was just such a long kind of slow cascade between uh, the drawings that I was drawing, how they would be interpreted by the contractor or misinterpreted, how they would be negotiated between, you know, mechanical engineer, structural engineer, um, uh the client all those sorts of systems and then ultimately finally turning into something that was built
0: i'm kind of as a maybe a small digression yeah um i assume there's some you you have space at nava and having been through both traditional uh, architecture i don't know maybe along the way you you read uh, how buildings learn uh and and then kind of being introduced to or or connecting to a more, um, uh, fluid digital way to understand spaces and and systems. Did it affect the way you designed the space for your team in any important way?
1: That's a great question, but before you, uh, that's such a, that's such a critical reference, uh, for, for me and for Nava because the whole concept of, uh, or, or some of the things present in how buildings learn of the pace layers uh, or the rates of change in a system, um, is so critical to how we think about, you know, Nava's own theory of change and how we we think about our role in engaging with public sector work, or think work that is happening at a deeper uh, deeper layer um, on the stack. Uh, but but it does play out also in how we think about our our built spaces. It's been, uh, you know, pre, pre-pandemic, pre uh, NAVA was working across San Francisco, New York, and DC offices. I think now what we've, uh, you know, and we were also having a growing contingent of folks working out of no office, just fu- kind of fully remotely. Now I think that's, um, you know, the ways that we approach our physical spaces are very different now. Uh, know not we're we're not on in our offices right now obviously but how we're thinking about them moving forwards Hmm. then becomes a much more uh rather than a kind of step function of you're either in this binary in an office or not or in uh, in a location with an office or not uh, how are we thinking about uh, a kind of hub and spoke model of uh, the kind of long tail of smaller smaller touch points that we can have in Chicago, in Philly in Austin mm-hmm. uh, where we have some critical mass of staff rather than just uh, needing to kind of, uh, you know, make, make some of these uh, more, more grand statements of, you know, signing a full long-term lease, doing a whole build out, kind of designing conference rooms for situations and environments that, that then change in six months as the company grows.
0: Uh, you know, so I, uh, I I jumped us ahead a bit uh, to your work at Nava, but um, I feel like we skipped over maybe a, a, an interesting stop along your your career journey at uh, Stamen. Was that where we were uh, on the, on the threshold of before I took us on the digression? Yeah,
1: yeah, that was uh, that that kind of folding point of realizing that my or inflection point of realizing that the work that I was doing building digital tools or digital systems had eclipsed uh, the type of creative satisfaction uh, or exploration I was getting out of uh, a very physical uh, uh, process within architecture. Um, that, that then led to um, uh, uh, me, me ultimately uh, leaving New York and moving back to the Bay Area and joining Stamen Design. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, that that was <laughs> a, a pretty, a pretty exciting and, and w- important time for me, both as uh, a designer and as an engineer, and and kind of a uh, 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 someone who cares about organizations, quite frankly, uh, on, on, along all those event, those axes. I remember those early days, this was my first time where I was, my job there was technically a, called, I think a design technologist where mm. I was responsible for um, both designing the visualizations, maps and visualizations um, that Stamen was uh, building for clients, but then also you know, uh, building the kind of front end systems or designing the actual uh, code base for them. So I remember just those first few weeks of my first full-time software engineering job in, in many ways, just coming home and just falling asleep because my, my, my brain was so, so tired from, uh, from trying to just uh, think and grow at, at such a, such an intense rate. But that was uh, really formative for me. I learned a lot from Eric Rodenbeck, from Mike McGursky uh, and from Sean Allen, the, the partners there at the time.
0: Yeah. Fantastic company. Uh, such an interesting place uh but then you you made your way back here right after that
1: well and then there were some detours so then okay you know working at stamen uh which was a professional services firm building visualizations and doing a lot of investigative uh, work for uh, clients large and small and small projects and, and large projects it was amazing for the variety um, but during that time i i ended up basically catching the. The startup bug or kind of uh, falling falling onto a different uh, different set of uh, railroad tracks or a different roller coaster. Um, and that led to, you know, uh, starting a company with a couple of friends, trying to think about how we could apply some of the work that And thinking that we were all doing around mapping and visualization and actually apply that as a product um, or a set of services to help people look for apartments. Um, in San Francisco. Uh, So that was a small startup that was called Movity. We went through the, uh, we applied to and got got into the Y Combinator Mm -hmm. um, startup accelerator program, Um, which for me was not, uh, I was not very, uh, you know, well-versed in, you know, who the players were. This was a very new space for me. Um, In many ways, joining Y Combinator at that time reminded me of some of the same uh, exhilaration of being in architecture studio, being surrounded by folks who were uh, passionate about the topics they were working in, uh, passionate about some of the problems they were working on and, uh, and and kind of committing a lot of time and energy and probably too much time uh, and probably an unhealthy amount of energy towards them. Uh, but that was, that was really energizing for me during, during that time. Uh, and then after that, uh we uh you know basically went through this whole kind of small startup or bay area roller coaster of starting a startup going through an accelerator program raising funding doing a couple of launches uh and then ending up uh, uh getting acquired uh by a real estate search site uh named Trulia mm-hmm. uh which is which is now a part of the kind of Zill- broader Zillow group
0: and um The journey is um, I think approaching a very different uh, 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 setting which is maybe uh, where you got to healthcare.gov so um, why don't we take it into a break and uh, we'll get to that and you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review with my guest Xia Wang we'll be right back I hope you're enjoying the podcast if you want more not only do we have a whole bunch of podcasts in our archive, but we have something that's very current, very alive, and very engaging for groups. And that is our communities. Rosenfeld Media runs a variety of communities that meet on a monthly basis for video conferences on a variety of topics near and dear to UX people, ranging from an enterprise experience to advancing research to design and research operations. I want to encourage you join one of our communities, again, it is free, by going to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. Not only will you get a monthly video conference that you can listen in on and participate in, ask questions, and so forth, we'll give you access to the recordings. And uh, for some of those communities, we're talking about dozens of recordings with really interesting presenters and facilitators. You'll also get a newsletter. You'll get access to an advice columnist, Yes, we actually are providing advice columnists from each community. And finally, if you're interested in our conferences, our communities correspond to our conferences. So you will be the first to know when programs uh, when programs go live, uh, when tickets go on sale. And by the way, most of our conferences sell out and other good things about our conferences, such as uh, when the scholarship applications open up. So go to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. You're going to find something that's free, something that's interesting, and it's a great opportunity to find your tribe as well. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. Lou Rosenfeld with my guest, Sha Wang. Um, we had just come uh, to the cusp of a really interesting aspect of uh, Sha's journey into design where um, it gets to a point where scale suddenly rears its head in ways that I think for anyone in the design space uh, would be almost unimaginable, given the the nature of the challenge that uh, you found yourself confronted with. Why don't you background it for us?
1: Yeah, you've you've teed it up. I think, uh, yeah, and like I was saying, we uh, our startup Movity got acquired by Trulia and. Part of the excitement of that acquisition process of our team joining Trulias was uh, first, that, that first hit uh, or idea of, uh, of the promise and the responsibility of scale uh, was taking our project, which had primarily looked at searching across uh, San Francisco and the Bay Area to applying some of those same tools and data and visualizations and mappings uh, towards a national level real estate search site. Uh, and some of those products are still in use, and some of those I still still use, uh, like school ratings and things like that, mm-hmm. that are on Trulia. Um, so that was that was frankly really exciting, and we worked for a long time as a team uh, uh, within Trulia. Uh, after a couple of years there, it felt like, from my side at least, we had kind of, uh, I had kind of. Uh, closed that chapter, or we had crossed some of the milestones, we had we had proven out some of those ideas that they had had value. Uh, And so I was frankly looking for the next thing. Um, And so I left Trulia at the beginning of 2013. uh, And then uh, took took some time off a little bit to kind of rest and recharge and reset. Uh, And when I was thinking about the next thing, the thing I actually didn't want to do, uh, was tackle another challenge that was highly complex, that was uh, all about scale, um, or that was kind of uh, hopping on the kind of startup roller coaster again. I felt like I had um, bought, bought one lottery ticket and it had paid out. Uh, and I, I didn't feel like it was based on my own merits or my own, uh, my own skills. Uh, I felt very lucky at the time. So I ended up making the decision to move back to New York. The goal was, you know, work on some small projects, some small creative projects. Uh, My partner and I at the time had uh, a couple uh, small e-commerce type uh, uh, type experiments, uh, Meshu and Gift Pop. And then uh, a couple months after I moved back to New York, uh, I got a cold email. Uh, It was the fall or the winter of 2013. Uh, A friend that I had known from the Bay Area asked me, um, "Hey." Uh, healthcare.gov just launched but struggling could you come down to Baltimore for a couple weeks and help us redesign healthcare.gov and uh, I think I got the email at like 1140 uh, or or something like that at night Uh, I was like I think alone watching a movie or something like that Um, was texting with the former partner uh, at Stamen Mike Magursky. Uh, who was then uh, CTO at Code for America. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was saying like, hey, is this real? What's going on? Is this a suicide mission? Should I take this or not? Um, It seems very political. It seems very tense. Like I I haven't done something like this before. Um, And I think Mike very patiently listened to my uh, freak out over text messages. And I think the only thing he replied was like, you know, well, could you make it worse? (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I had felt a lot of things, uh, but I had believed in myself at, at least uh, enough that, uh, uh, that I thought I couldn't make it worse. Um, so I ended up taking a train down to Baltimore. Uh, and that really, uh, like, there's no way to, I think, uh, now with some of the lessons of time, I, I think I can confidently say that th- this was a life-changing event for me this this changed the direction and the nature and the shape of my entire trajectory um, through my life and through my career. Uh, was taking that challenge on. Um, after that first week of conversations, one of the initial things we talked about was, uh, you know, we could the call center was flooded, the website was down all the time, uh, legislation was under threat because, uh, you know. Uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation had projected that the Affordable Care Act needed at least 4 million people to be enrolled for the legislation to not enter what people would call like a, a death spiral, where only the most needy or the kind of um, most vulnerable were on it, and it wasn't balanced out in terms of risk by healthier or younger populations. Mm-hmm. So there was a real sense of urgency there. Uh, and one of the early conversations the team had as we were assembled together was you know, that we could build some tools to help the call center. We were getting, there were 17,000 call center representatives working 24 seven at the time. Uh, that, that we could build tools, uh, an application that they could use to uh, get all the information, answer all the questions, and then submit. Um, submit that information and check for enrollment and by the end of that first week uh, of conversation uh, the conversation flipped to well if we can build this application experience for the call center representatives uh, why don't we just make that the website Mm -hmm. Uh, why don't we just uh, make that what's user facing Um, and so that that started kind of folding the effort around uh, building and deploying and trying to insert user-facing experiences on healthcare.gov and, and testing what was working and what was not and uh, it was a it was a tense and and exhausting uh, but also incredibly sobering and energizing and clarifying time for me.
0: Would it be fair to say though um, that that fixation on not only a critical audience in that. An ecosystem, uh, namely the call center reps, but search forced you um, to really focus on the short head. We were talking a little bit earlier about the long tail. Uh, in in settings for scale is such a challenge. Um, I I've always felt that and identifying the short head, both in terms of users, you know, what, who the critical audience is, but also what they need and what content you can match them with is a way to dramatically reduce the scope of uh, the problem space. And I wonder if that is kind of the the approach you took there or just suggested it itself, or was there more to it than just the the kind of, let's just focus on getting this part right and everything else will sort of come along with it.
1: There was both, I mean, it was both strategy and tactics, right? And uh, it was both like talking out loud about long-term vision and just gritting our teeth and being comfortable with the hard work to get things done. Mm -hmm. Um, I think some things, some questions we asked ourselves during that time were things like, what can we do now to make sure that Uh, a group like us because at the time we thought we were all temporary Um, uh, what can we do now to make sure that this next year the next open enrollment uh, you know the red phones aren't picked up again this isn't just lurching from emergency to emergency but how are we able to uh, actually affect some systemic or structural change here so that the Ecosystem is better or that so the entire kind of business process is in a better place
0: Um, Well, that's that's an interesting challenge because initially I would imagine you had the benefit of the urgency of the emergency Um, And that kind of you know, let's avoid the death spiral Consideration can clear the way of many of the organizational barriers Uh, You stabilize things you 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 save the system but now you're looking ahead toward the next enrollment period at that point. Did you have to step back and look to change the way the organization related to the system? What kind of barriers it was throwing up? What kind of cultural issues there were? That's, I mean, you know, without an emergency, that's probably where you would have had to start. Um, Or did your momentum kind of help you steer clear of a lot of those organizational challenges?
1: Yeah. Momentum is a great word because we we talk about it a lot, even at NAVA. There's a level of... uh, There there are some similar motions to what I think of in more of the advocacy uh, or coalition building space of like, you need to build that momentum, maintain that momentum. Um, And we talk also a lot about leverage points at NAVA. What are the places to intervene in a system you know, coming from readings like like Donella Meadows about mm-hmm. you know what are going to be those insertions or wedges that can solve the immediate need but also tee up the things that can be structural changes if we have more time um, so those those I think were some of the critical challenges of that time um, one of one example maybe is you know we did a lot of manual logging of which systems, because there were 50 different government contractors involved, many different systems in healthcare.gov. We were doing some manual logging of which systems were causing the most outages. We found that about 60% of the outages were coming from one system, the identity management system. So we, instead of trying to just duct tape that system, we ended up building a replacement for that Mm-hmm. Um, and, and migrating all of that over uh, at the time. That was about 12 million accounts on healthcare.gov. Wow. Um, and that was tough. There was a lot of, uh, you know, risk uh, and, and kind of concern around what it would mean to change out an entire system uh, on a large program like healthcare.gov. Uh, we ended up doing some things to try to demonstrate the value of that. We ran... Uh, You know, we were like, okay, well, let's run a billion user load test on our new system. Let's prove that it can handle things at scale. Let's prove that it, it, you know, it's not going to require, you know, dozens of engineers on call, that it can be done with a team of four. Um, And and so proving those things out were really important. And that was, I think, the wedge for us. And now that actually, um, that login system is actually what... uh, a couple of years later, we also replaced the same thing on Medicare.gov. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that same system, you know, we could solve it for the fire uh, or put out that fire, but also we were trying to build that system in a way where it could be reused uh, in a way that was reducing the total system complexity uh, of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services.
0: I also imagine that having that annual cadence of enrollment period. After enrollment period, actually, may have been helpful for you. It gave it sort of time boxed certain efforts and made sure you weren't just sort of working toward an indefinite goal time wise.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think there's. I mean, once we had some of the front ends more instrumented, it was also uh, a, a a pretty sobering one. Like every uh, you know, when the Affordable Care Act was. Uh, signed. There were something like 40 million Americans uninsured, Uh, and I think some of the reports were about, I think, thirty to 40,000 people were dying every year because of lack of health insurance. And so the metric that uh, one of the tech leads talked about and that I think about often was when we were looking at those metrics was like every thousand roll-ups, uh, every 1000 uh, applications or enrollments uh, that was a life that uh, that might have been uh, right. that might be saved um, uh, a few years down the line and so watching that come through that kind of uh, that kind of rhythm every open enrollment of seeing the tick up the the kind of swells towards the deadlines and looking at those numbers being like okay every 1000 a life every 1000 a life every 1000 a life and you're just kind of watching that over and over again um was uh it, it's very hard not to think about uh how to apply you know the skills i built up elsewhere towards these problems now uh because of because of these experiences in healthcare it's
0: so interesting as well like the the use of time and and having a cadence that i mean it's like you have a project metronome of sorts and yeah. it it i i just think we often leave time out of our our figuring when we're thinking about uh, uh, how we gauge and control and, and pace our work. Um, we have a little bit of time left. Um, speaking of time, um, I know you're doing some interesting, like tons of interesting work at NAVA, and it's such a great place to, to be as well as to be there now here in the States, given a lot of the, you know, the new administration. Uh, so I, I imagine you're doing some interesting projects, and uh, I wonder if you could briefly tell us a little bit about what you've done as a company for the state of Vermont, because I think that's probably a very different kind of project than healthcare.gov with some, uh, interesting scaling issues as well.
1: Yeah. The Vermont effort has been, um, it, it just incredibly gratifying. Uh, it started out of some federal level research, um, uh, along this research called, uh, that people talk about as integrated benefits. So, you know, when you're applying for a safety net program, oftentimes if you're a low income household uh, or someone from a disadvantaged community, you're oftentimes eligible for multiple government benefits at the same time. But most people don't, and most people shouldn't have to understand the org structure of government to be able to engage with the services that they've already been promised by by legislation. So the integrated benefits effort, we. NAVA partnered with Code for America and Center for Budget and Policy Priorities. We did pro bono site visits and did a lot of site uh, research across 10 states. And mm-hmm. then we ended up partnering with Vermont on a pilot um, to integrate uh, integrate some of the benefits at their state level, starting with uh, a pilot around a document uploader piece. So just if you were applying for a program and you needed to upload a copy of your driver's license, that was... In Vermont, uh, previously was a paper experience. Was a field office experience. You took a bus down, to you. You brought your ID. You kind of got it. Um, we saw in Vermont that they were cases where, uh, and this is not uncommon at the state level, where, you know the notice that you got in the mail saying that you had to submit this additional documentation would sometimes come after the deadline where you would have to submit it by. So you'd have to restart your whole Medicaid application, restart your whole SNAP application, that kind of thing. So we piloted a way to do that uh, digitally, just a small module. We started in a couple field offices, having the field office workers training them up and helping them uh, uh, administer it with staff. Mm And then we eventually scaled that out. Um, so now that, that small piece is now shared across all 37 different health and economic programs in Vermont, which is just a wild kind of testament both to the championing at Vermont on the government side and the program, program director's vision there. And then also just the, the tedious and, and patient work on the engineering and technical side of making sure we're fitting all the requirements of all these different programs. And it's a real, I think, success case. We saw people, uh, a dramatic increase in uh, how many people are able to be enrolled same day. Uh, People on average are able to get enrolled in the programs 50% faster. Uh, And just dramatically, I think, improving the level of access. I think most of the usage we see of that tool comes outside of the business hours of the case uh, of the field offices where people would have to be going anyways.
0: And if I understand it, um, if people wanna know more about this, this excellent case study, it's covered in a brand new book, Power to the Public by, um, by Hannah Shank and uh, Tara Dawson McGinnis, is that right?
1: Yeah, Hannah and Tara uh, wrote this book covering various examples uh, of uh, highlighting case studies of technology and government intersecting and the possibilities and the challenges. We were we were really honored to be a part of that and to be uh, one of the one of the three examples that they're talking through uh, of this type of change of this type of design at scale of this type of kind of uh, work at the in the public sector. And uh, a couple weeks ago, it was uh, a little bit of a uh, exhilarating thrill for the team when uh, Barack Obama, uh, President Barack Obama, tweeted. Uh, recommending this book Power to the Public and saying that it offered really concrete examples of what technology could do for the government and that um, quoting one of our team members uh, Genevieve who is the design lead on this Vermont effort? She said it. Uh, it made her feel like she wanted to uh, dance and vomit at the same time, seeing that the <laughs> the uh, former president uh, Obama yeah. was uh, was recommending this book. That well, it's
0: funny because uh, Hanna and I occasionally talk about book marketing, and and obviously I need to be um, taking notes, taking more yeah. notes because I haven't really had any former presidents uh, endorse any Rosenfeld Media title yet. Um, before we wrap up, we, um, we have a tradition of always tagging something or someone or a book or anything that uh, our guests on the Roosevelt Review think uh, our, our listeners should know about. And I think you, uh, you have a book in mind, speaking of books.
1: Yeah, I wanted to just give a shout out to Sid Harrell's recent book called A Civic Technologist's Practice Guide. I think... You know, it's really a landscape, excellent landscape introduction for folks interested in diving into this civic design, civic tech type space. Uh, But it's also just for people in the space, it's also a helpful reminder of some of the common challenges or the shared practices. Uh, And one thing I return to often is something that Sid has mentioned before, where she says uh, something like, you know, we're we're 10 years in to what is effectively a 50-year effort here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's, again, you're thinking about time. It's a good reminder of uh, of the scale of things, the time scale of things, uh, of the nature of challenges we're trying to work on in this space.
0: It's an an excellent book. I'll certainly uh, say it's one of the the best non-Rosenfeld media books I've read on design in in quite some time. Shah, this has been wonderful. Uh, I really want to thank you for for being my guest today, but more importantly, I want to thank you and the people uh, on your on your various teams you've been on for like literally saving thousands or maybe even more lives and certainly touching in a really good way, many, many more lives than that. Uh, I wish you uh, and Nava even more success in the future. I think, uh, you know, we're just as, as, uh, as Sid mentions, we're just at the very cusp of seeing what better experiences can mean in the public sector. So thank you for the work you've done and for being a great model for what I hope is much work to come. Uh, again, Sha Wang is going to be on the program at uh, Design at Scale, June 9th through 11th. It's a virtual conference. I hope you'll join us. It's going to be a fantastic conference. And yes, I'm biased, but you just got to look at the program and know that uh, Shaw is just one of many fantastic people that we've lined up to really dig into this challenge of scale. And uh, if you'd like to know more about Shaw, a uh, good way to find him is to follow him on Twitter, Sha, 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 Sha. That's Sha times four, if my math is right. And, uh, and you can certainly learn more about Nava, a company that he co-founded, Nava PBC. That's personal, I'm sorry, Public Benefit Corporation, navapbc.com. Thanks again, Sha. Great to have you join us.
1: Thank you so much. Looking forward to Design at Scale.